0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's open the Word of our God together. This morning we turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 16. We're going to read the first 17 verses. As you can see, it deals with the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, as well as the Feast of Tabernacles, We begin then at verse 1, the opening verse of this chapter. Listen to the word of God. Observe the month of Abib and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God, because in the month of Abib he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from your flock or herd, at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Let no yeast be found in your possession in all your land for seven days. Do not let any of the meat you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain until morning. You must not sacrifice the Passover in any town the Lord your God gives you, except in the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you must sacrifice the Passover in the evening, when the sun goes down, on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. Roast it and eat it at the place the Lord will choose. Then in the morning return to your tents for six days, eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day hold an assembly to the Lord your God, and do no work. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain, then celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the dwelling he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maid servants, the Levites in your towns, and the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your feast, you, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants, and the Levites, the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days celebrate the feast to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. No man shall appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. I preach to you on this New Year's Day from the Word of our God as you find it in 1 Corinthians 5, the verses 6, 7, and 8. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Love a congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome to the year of our Lord 2012. Welcome to a whole new year. And may it prove to be a blessed one for each and every one of you gathered here this morning. And also for those of you who are watching online. But if a new year brings invariably best wishes, it may also bring with it no end of slogans. And then one of the slogans you may hear at this time of year is the slogan, Out with the old and in with a new. Most people, it seems, are in a hurry to put the old year behind them, and they want to launch themselves out into a new year. And in a way that is understandable, for 2011 was a mixed year for many. Of course, there were what some would call bright spots, They might mention the marriage of Prince William and Kate. They might also mention the majority government in Canada, perhaps also the Arab Spring, which has affected countries like Tunisia, Libya, Egypt, and so forth. They might even mention the death of Osama bin Laden and the death of that North Korean dictator, Kim Jong-il. So there are Say, people would say, some bright spots. At the same time, there are a lot more dark spots. The massive earthquake and tsunami in Japan, along with the subsequent nuclear meltdown, extreme tornadoes in the American South and Midwest, Hurricane Irene, which left part of the East Coast in shambles, Massive flooding in the Philippines, continued uprising in Syria and tumult in the Middle East, suicide bombings in Iraq and Afghanistan, drug wars in Mexico, economic struggles in European countries like Greece, Italy, Spain, Portugal, Ireland, and you name it. So internationally speaking, 2011 was a mixed year, some would say. A down year. Congregationally here in Langley, one is also inclined to say that in many respects for us as well, it was somewhat of a mixed year. There were good things to celebrate, births and baptisms, professions of faith, engagements, weddings, anniversaries. But there were also some hard things to digest. Sickness, deaths, economic trouble, family problems. 2011 brought us also some good things, but as well some bad things. And as a result, it is no wonder that any number of you are hoping for an even better year in 2012. Perhaps you would like to make a new start. Perhaps you're hoping for a much better outcome. And you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, as we're going to see in our text of this morning. I preached to you on the theme, out with the old, in with the new. First, we're going to see, remove the evil. Then we're going to deal with, embrace the lamb, and finally, celebrate the festival. So, out with the old, in with the new, remove the evil, embrace the lamb, celebrate the festival. Now beloved, I admit that at first glance, this is a bit of an odd text for a New Year's Day service. It's located in a Bible book filled with controversy. It's found in a rather troubling chapter. It's written to a troubled church. It's dealing with a troubled situation. And so you may ask yourself, what exactly does it have to do with the dawning of a new year. Well, to find out, we need to consider the matter of yeast. Specifically, and you can see that, Paul writes about old yeast and no yeast. He even instructs the Corinthians repeatedly to throw out the old stuff. Now, the background of that talk or what Paul writes about yeast, is the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's also why we read Deuteronomy 16. You may know it took place at the beginning of the year, around the time of the barley harvest, and and during it, the Jews made it a point to clear out, to get rid of all of the old yeast, and to eat only unleavened bread. But then if our text has to do with yeast and it has to do with Passover, it also, of course, has to do at the same time with Exodus, the Exodus out of Egypt. You remember, I think, that at a certain point, the Israelites had to leave Egypt and they had to leave it in haste. The firstborn of Egypt had been put to death. Pharaoh finally was going to allow the Israelites to leave. And and before he changed his mind once again, they had to go. So they left in a big hurry. There was not even time to allow the bread to rise. The Israelites had to make do with unleavened bread. The yeast was not allowed to do its slow and steady work and make the bread to rise. But then speaking of yeast, what is it? Actually, it's an acidic substance that hurries up the process of decay, breakdown, and fermentation. And as such, old yeast or old leaven invariably symbolizes corruption. And now you know, there was corruption, to be sure, in Corinth. You may recall that here in chapter 5, Paul is dealing with a very nasty case of incest. It seems that the church was tolerating a man who was living with his stepmother as if she was his wife. And as a matter of fact, Paul says, the church in Corinth is going along with something that not even the pagans would approve of. It's stooping lower than the world. so now in such a situation, Paul reminds the believers there of the Passover in general and of the old yeast in particular, and he tells them to get rid of the old, to clean it out. Don't you know, he writes, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast. The point here, of course, in part, is that a little yeast can do a lot. It only takes a little bit of this stuff to make the whole dough, the whole ball of dough, rise. Just a little tiny bit will do the trick. And you know, the same applies to sin. Paul refers to yeast, and he turns it, as it were, into a a spiritual lesson. And he says, as a little yeast can do a lot, so a little sin can do a lot. A lot of damage. It'll work and work. It'll spread and spread. And in due time, if you don't watch out, it'll corrupt everything. So what you need to do with old yeast is get rid of it. Deal with it right away. Nip it in the bud. Tackle it head on. And that applies to societies and individuals. In a society like the church, tolerating that one sin of incense may eventually lead to a massive outbreak of sexual immorality. And in the case of individuals, we should remember that, that alcoholism, for example, starts with one drink. Addiction starts with one puff or needle or sniff. That deception starts with just one lie. That immorality starts with just one lustful look. All of these vices and problems, in other words, start small. They happen once. They happen twice. It becomes a habit. A habit becomes a trend. A trend becomes an addiction. And an addiction inevitably destroys and corrupts you. And that's what Paul is getting at here. He's urging the Corinthians to deal with the bad and the corrupt situation in their midst. Before it spreads any further. If you don't, one case will lead to many cases. So what should they do? And you can take the same principle and apply it to a new year. What should we do? Get rid of the old yeast. Deal with the sinful man. Or throw out all of your sinful habits. Banish whatever corrupts your life. Remove all rottenness from your existence. Cleanse your life. That's what we're called upon to do here. But then Paul says, make sure at the same time that it's a thorough, thorough cleansing. And as such, I suspect that he would not be too impressed with what we tend to do at this time of year. You know it. You've all done it. You maybe did it last night even. You make this resolution. You make that resolution. I'm going to cut up my Visa card. I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to walk more. I'm going to spend more time with my kids. I'm going to be nicer to my husband. I'm not going to nag. I'm going to be nicer to my wife. I'm going to be nice to my grouchy neighbor. I'm going to do my homework. You know, at this time of year, there are resolutions everywhere. We're drowning in them. But they all seem to have something in common, and that is they're soon broken and forgotten. Yes, and Paul says that kind of an approach will not do when it comes to sin. You need to be committed to sorrow cleansing. And indeed, he says, by the way, you need to be a little Jewish. We read from Deuteronomy 16. And there it says, let no yeast be found in your possession in all your land. You know, a good Jewish mother would throw out the old yeast, and then she would make a sorrow-going search every nook and cranny of her house would be thoroughly examined and wherever she found the offending stuff, she would take out the mop or the broom and she would attack it with gusto. Be gone. But Paul says we need to do the same with sin. We need to turf it out, evict it, expel it. And in the process of doing so, we should ensure that we also are not like the Corinthians. Paul writes in verse 6, your boasting is not good. Here's a church in deep trouble. And what are many of the members doing? They're boasting about themselves. They're patting themselves on the back. They're complimenting one another. They're they're working on their swelled heads. Instead of taking a cold, hard, honest look at themselves, they need to see the sin in their midst. They need to attack their sinful tendencies. Action is called for and humility, not pride or arrogance or conceit, is needed. And so, Paul says, as something else, self-awareness. Look at verse 7, Paul writes there, Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast. And then he adds these words, As you really are. The Apostle Paul, in other words, is not asking them to be what they are not. But he's asking them and reminding them to be what they already are. You know, they'd confess Christ. They claim to be Christians. They believe they're sons and daughters of God. They, they'd embrace the idea that in Christ they are a new creation. Well, then Paul says, live like it. Be what you are. Live up to your sonship. Act like an heir of God. And so, beloved, here's a reminder. A reminder to them and a reminder to us too. As we enter into the year of our Lord, 2012, we are not called upon to be something that we are not. No, we are being called upon... To attack every corrupting influence in our life and to be what we are meant and called to be. Are you a covenant child? Live like it. Are you a daughter of God? Act like it. Are you a Christian? Talk like it. Are you a believer Walk like it. Be what you have become in Christ. But how? How are we going to clean up our lives and live up to our new status? Well, the answer, beloved, is to be found in the second part of verse 7. For Christ, Paul writes, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. You know, here the Apostle Paul is saying the key to living up to what you are is not applying liberal doses of determination or by resorting to all kinds of fine-sounding New Year's resolutions. No, the key is to be found in the death of Christ. Of course, you may ask, so what? How does he help us? What does he do for us that makes such a big difference in our life? Well, for an answer, you and I need to go back to what happened in Egypt long ago. You remember the children of Israel were in bondage there for many years, for centuries. They'd entered Egypt as a free people, but over time they became an enslaved people. And God, however, tolerates, as he had prophesied, that situation only for so long. And then finally, in the fullness of time, he decides to act. He calls on Pharaohs through Moses to let his people go. But Pharaoh refuses repeatedly and digs in his heels more and more. He will not let this lucrative nation of slaves go free and wreck his economy and whatever. And so what does God do next? He unleashes judgment on Egypt. Plague after plague assaults the land, the people, the animals... And finally, the the great punishment comes in the death of the firstborn son. All the firstborn of Egypt die. But not in Goshen. Not where the people of Israel live. They're all spared. And Now ask yourself, how are they spared? How are they exempted? By blood. You remember blood of the lamb is taken and and it's smeared on on the doorposts of of their houses. And then when the angel of vengeance sent by God comes over the land and and wherever he sees the blood on the doorposts, he passes by. Literally, he passes over that house and he spares everybody inside. Now, he did not do so because the people in that house were better, nicer, brighter. No, they too. They too were all sinners. And as a matter of fact, they deserve, when you come right down to it, the the exact same fate as all of those Egyptians. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. They should all have died. But they didn't. And why? Because that lamb and that blood of that lamb acted as their substitute. God did to it what he should have done to them. That lamb died in their place. And so they were saved, spared, redeemed. And you know, beloved, that happens not just to those Israelites of long ago. No, it still is something that happens miraculously, wondrously to to all of God's children today. Only it happens no longer to those who think they have the blood of a lamb to thank, but it happens to all of those who who know that they have the blood of a Savior to thank. When Jesus Christ begins his redeeming work, John the Baptist cries out, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yes, and now here in our text, the Apostle Paul hooks into this truth when he calls Jesus the Passover Lamb. He is the great, final, perfect Passover Lamb who has been sacrificed Sacrifice for all of us who believe in him. Sacrificed on our behalf. Sacrificed in our place and in our stead. And beloved, it's now because, because of him. And because of what he has done that you and I can make a new start. We can make a new start, not just at this special time of year only, but we can make a new start any day and every day of this new year. And we can do it not because of our fine-sounding resolutions and not because of our splendid determination. And we can do it because of Christ and what he has done. He shed His blood for us and that shed blood pays for our sins and it covers them and it sets us free, free to live a new life. A life free of judgment and condemnation and curse. For Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed and He That's it all for us. And so, beloved, look. Look to him. Embrace him in faith, in awe, in thankfulness, in humility. Marvel at his sacrifice. And never stop looking to him in 2012. And do something else as well. Paul describes it in verse 8. He says there, he goes on, therefore let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. You know, the Apostle Paul is also saying here, we need to take note of that. He's saying that this this death of Jesus Christ should now act as as a a catalyst, as a springboard in our lives. It should propel us into that new lifestyle. Paul writes, therefore, keep the festival. The question arises, what exactly does that refer to? There are some who think that the Apostle Paul is really telling the Corinthians to celebrate Passover here. And that, that is the festival he's referring to. But, you know, that's rather doubtful. Because for these Christian believers to celebrate the Passover would mean to go backward. Back to the Old Testament, back to the shadows, back to blood. And besides, nowhere else does the Apostle Paul tell Christians to do that. Indeed, the most that can be said is that here Paul is using Rather, the the language of the Passover in in a figurative sense. In other words, he's he's telling the believers to live their lives in, in light of what Jesus Christ has done as their Passover lamb. Celebrate the festival means then to live in step with Christ's fulfillment of the Passover. Live up. In other words, who is redeeming work? And I think, beloved, that's the right way to look at this. And of course, in the process, I'm not excluding one more aspect, and that is that Paul may also at the same time be, in that expression, keep the festival telling us to keep the Lord's Supper. As Jews kept the old festival of the Passover, so Christians are to keep the new festival of the supper of our Lord, as we hope to do next Sunday morning. But of course, the question may arise, how does one keep the festival? How does one live every day out of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ? Well... Paul says it rather succinctly here in both a negative comment as well as a positive one. In the first place, this is a negative one. Namely, not, you don't do it, he says, with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness. You need to understand malice represents the evil intentions of the heart. Wickedness represents the carrying out of these evil intentions. The first word describes, in other words, inner corrupt thoughts. The second word describes outward corrupt actions or deeds. And together, they cover a host of evil. And now Paul urges us here to get rid of them both. And, you know, in so doing, if you think of it, he's actually taking a, a page out of the book of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he too dwells on the same thing. If you think about the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus is, says, for example, that, you know, when it comes to adultery, it, it starts, he says, with, with one lustful look. First, it happens on the inside, then on the outside. And, and when it comes to murder, it happens with one angry word. And he says, but all of these things represent old yeast that needs to be thrown away. Throw the malice and the wickedness out of your life. That's the negative part. There's also, however, notice a positive part here. Paul goes on and he says, keep the festival with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. You might say, and some people would say, Paul is telling you what your diet should be like. You all should be eating unleavened bread, right? Because bread without yeast is unleavened. Of course, he's not really being your dietitian in a physical sense, but, but spiritually he's saying eat bread without yeast. And then he means, specifically he says, the bread of sincerity and truth. And, and it's interesting. The Greek word for sincerity is especially interesting because it means and has to do with light and, and testing in the light. If you, for example, were living in those days and you were going to the marketplace in order to buy some dishes, some pottery for your house, how in the world did you figure out whether or not it was good pottery or bad pottery? Because it all looks the same, especially once you slop some paint on it. Well, there's a very interesting and simple test. You, you take the pottery and, and you hold it up to the sunlight. And as you look at it to the sunlight, you can right away see the blemishes, the cracks, and the spots. And you know that word to to hold it up to the sun that's the word sincerity. It means flawless, without any kind of blemish, any kind of of defect. And now when you take that and you apply it to a person Paul is describing someone who has pure and selfless motives. Someone who really truly Loves God, loves Christ, loves the spirit, loves their fellow brothers and sisters. He or she is not a hypocrite. They're not a phony. They're not a fake. They're the real thing. And so Paul talks about sincerity, but notice he also talks about truth, the bread of sincerity and Truth. It's interesting that he should add that to it because that really means everything that's real and genuine and correct and not false. He's describing a person who lives his or her life in obedient submission to God and to his truth, his word. He's describing someone who doesn't embrace the False philosophies of this world. Someone who doesn't fall for all the lies and deceptions of the devil. Rather, this is a person who builds their life not on their own views, not on the views and opinions of others, not on their emotions, not on their feelings, not on advertising, but on God. And on God's holy word. And so clothed with sincerity and truth, this person lives to the praise of God. They keep the festival with that bread, without yeast, without corruption. This life reflects a new batch. Beloved, that's the way forward. The way forward also in this new year of our Lord 2012 is by saying no to everything that corrupts. Remember Jesus saying that watch for the leaven, the corruption, the corrupt teachings of the Pharisees. Well, watch for the leaven. Say no to it. And say yes to everything that that edifies, that builds up, that promotes service and unity and faith and godliness. And beloved, may that be the kind of life that you and I seek to live in 2012. The kind of life in which the old yeast is rejected, in which Christ, the Passover lamb, is reigning, in which malice and wickedness find no place and in which sincerity and truth hold sway and so if you want a fitting motto not a resolution for 2012 perhaps it's this this here out with the old yeast In with the new bread, without yeast. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycamrc.org.